All right, well, as we look into Ezekiel chapter 12, and that's as far as we're going to get here tonight, this is the next prophecy after the very long one that we had that covered 8, 9, 10, and 11. This one has no no time frame given for it. It doesn't say in what year, anything like that, so it would seem that this was done very shortly after the last one. We may be looking at just days uh, that had transpired between the giving of the last one and this one because there was no real need to change or to say a, a different time frame. So, he starts out with this one. He says, Now the word of the, Lord, of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, you will dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which has eyes to see, but does not see, and ears to hear, but does not hear, for they are a rebellious house. Now, we've heard that phraseology before. Now, over the next several prophecies, this is going to cover chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and I believe 17. All those chapters. He is going to deal with nine falsehoods that these folks have grabbed hold of. In this chapter, he's going to deal with two of them. But overall, over all those chapters, we're going to see nine falsehoods and God is going to directly address each one. The first one is their belief that they will be returning to Jerusalem soon and that it's a, uh, it's, that it, the person, the, the uh, preservation of Jerusalem is a sign and a security to them. So the very fact that Jerusalem is still there, that it has not fallen, that it has been prophesied to fall, that it's been promised to fall and it hasn't come true. These are all things that tell them it's not going to happen. And so they are believing this. And God is going to deal with that particular falsehood in this chapter. In fact, in the beginning parts here, we'll, we'll see this. And then there'll be a second one we'll see later on. Now, the doom of Jerusalem has been prophesied by Ezekiel and a number of others. But it hasn't come to pass. So they're thinking, I guess it's never going to. Now, we say this, we see the same thing here today. How many times have we heard people talking about the rapture? In fact, even though God says don't do it, even though God says don't listen to anybody who does it, people who put a date on it, the Lord will come back on this date and that date comes and goes. And then the Lord will come on this date and that date comes and goes. I don't know how many dates we have have uh, passed in which someone said that the Lord will come on this day and uh, it has come and gone. But see, that's all orchestrated by the enemy. Because the more he can get us to see that a prophecy, something that is expected, hasn't come about, then the more we are apt to not believe it. And so this is what's, what's going on here. This is why the enemy likes to take what looks like good religious, losing that term loosely, we'll say spiritual, good spiritual people who show through the scriptures and through all kinds of other digging, the Lord's going to come back here. And people buy into it. And then people do it. And then when it doesn't happen, the, the faith and the confidence of many people is, is lost. And this is why the enemy loves doing this stuff. But God warned you. Don't do it. Don't take it. Now, people aren't always listening. But this is one of the reasons why God would say so. So this is the same thing they're going through. Just like we keep hearing rapture, rapture, end times, tribulation. And it's it uh, keeps holding on. And it keeps waiting. Um they're seeing the same thing. People are saying Jerusalem is fallen. Jerusalem is fallen. Jerusalem is fallen. I keep hearing Jerusalem is fallen, but Jerusalem is still there. So therefore, it's not going to work, and we're all going back. So they just they're using that as a as something to hang on to, 
And God's going to address that here in this chapter. Now he says here, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house. And he told them this very early on. He says, I'm sending you to a rebellious house. They are probably not going to listen to the word that you're going to speak, but I'm sending you anyway. (laughs) So he was sent there. He said, they have eyes to see, but do not see. They have ears to hear, but do not hear, for they are a rebellious house. Rebellion in any form or degree will cause you not to see and hear as well, or basically to become dull. It all has its roots in rebellion. Once I go down this road, my rebellion will increase. If I just go down the road of rebellion a little bit, my eyes can't see as well and my ears can't hear as well. And once I do that, my rebellion increases. My spiritual understanding will decrease and more and more what I hearken to or give attention to is the words of the enemy. You see, when I get into rebellion, I'm listening to the words of the enemy. To whatever degree, I'm listening to the words of the enemy. The more dull I become to the things of God, the more I hear the things of the enemy. And the more I think the words of the enemy are the words of God. And I act accordingly. Pretty soon you become so blind that you cannot discern what is right from what is wrong. And you'll get into a place like the Pharisees. Let's pop together on a Sunday or on a Sabbath how we can kill somebody because we don't like the fact that they're healing. That's how you can get that far off. Because the words they were hearing were the words of the enemy. The enemy wanted to kill Jesus. And he got some people that were in rebellion enough that they would follow down this road. So that's how you get to this dull dullness, how you can get to the place where your eyes don't see and your ears don't hear. It is rebellion. If we do it in any form, if we rebel against God, if we rebel against His leaders, if we rebel against His Word, if we rebel against His Spirit, whatever rebellion the enemy can get us into, it will cause us to become dull. Not inst- You don't instantly become dull. It just softens it a little bit and then you'll start to hear a little bit more from the enemy and a little bit more from the enemy and then pretty soon what the enemy is saying makes sense but I think it's God and then we can completely make that, that turn so it all starts in rebellion it's why God hates rebellion and why he deals with it so strongly because of the, the things that can happen from that Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 21 says this hear this now O foolish people without understanding who have eyes to see not and who have ears and hear not Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. This is a real familiar one to you. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy. And shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed, which Jesus quotes in Matthew chapter 13, 13 through 15. Well, even though the result may still be negative, the obligation to speak is still there. If only to justify the hearer's condemnation. God says, if they only hear to the point that I can judge them, that's fine. <laughs> if they don't want to hear to the point that they listen and they receive it and they, re- and they repent, that's up to them. But as long as they hear it and I can bring judgment against them and be, be righteous, that's fine. So... Um, Sometimes we, we always want to see results from what it is that we do for God. And God says, that's all right. <laughs> Just say what I'm saying to do, to say. 
and we'll be good. Now, this likely refers to how they have responded so far to the words of Ezekiel. So, from chapter 1 up through this chapter, how they have responded apparently has not been all that great. Verse 3, Therefore, son of man, prepare your belongings for captivity and go into captivity by day in their sight. You shall go from your place into captivity to another place in their sight. It may be they will consider, though they are a rebellious house. So God says, well, it may be. <laughs> Can you imagine God saying, well, I don't know, it might happen. <laughs> he is he is willing to take his guy. He's given him these words. Take these words. You don't never know. They might, they might respond. God's saying, no, they won't. But <laughs> Go out there anyway. It may be that they may consider, though they are a rebellious house, by day you shall bring out your belongings in their sight as though going into captivity and at evening you shall go in their sight like those who go into captivity. Dig through the wall in their sight and carry your belongings out through it. In their sight you shall bear them on the shoulders and carry them at twilight. You shall cover your face so that you cannot see the ground for I have made you a sign of the house of Israel. Now I didn't read verse 7 here yet but we'll, we'll get there eventually. What is, what is something that just jumps out at you in all those verses? It sure jumped out at me. I did a little search on this. In their sight. I checked this thing out. This phrase, in their sight, is used 13 times in the entire Bible. 11, in 11 verses. 13 times in 11 verses, you will see this in their sight. In all scripture, seven times in these five verses, do we see that phrase. So of the 13 times this is used, seven times is in these five verses. Now you may, I'll give you one other reference for this. Remember when the spies came back and they were talking about the giants and they said, in their sight, we were as grasshoppers. That's one of the times. But here God is saying to him, I want you to do this in their sight, in their sight, in their sight, in their sight. Seven times he says it in these five verses. That's a little bit of an overkill, don't you think? But not to God. He says, I want them seeing this. Don't you do it without them seeing this. When you're doing this, you make sure that they're around, that they're seeing. I want them to see it. Did you get it? Ezekiel, I want them to see it. Ezekiel, do it while they're watching. (laughs) Just over and over, hitting them with this thing. In their sight. They need to see this thing. So we see this is used a total of seven times in these five verses and nine total in Ezekiel. Of the 13 uses for this phrase, nine are in Ezekiel. Now he says to go through the wall. But it doesn't say what wall, does it? It is probably of his house. Because houses have walls. It is not the wall of the city. If it was the wall of the city, the Hebrew word would be different. But for the wall of a house, it would be different than the wall of a, of a, a city wall. So this particular word being used is probably meaning he is digging through the wall of his house. I don't think he's going to go dig through the neighbor's wall. And he's doing this to, to, we know that he has a house. God told him, buy houses. And so he bought one. He has a house. 
Likely this depicts the attempt by Zedekiah to breach the walls and escape the, the, uh, the city. In 2 Kings chapter 25, you'll see the depiction there. Of course, the king's house was on the wall. He could have uh, gone through there. Uh, he would have been in big trouble if he would have been digging through any walls of the city. But he was uh, digging through his own wall there and then acting as if, uh, in a way that this was the city wall, that he was going to breach it and get on through. But in 2 Kings 25, Zedekiah breaches the wall to try and escape. He is caught by the Babylonians. And then, as we covered last time, he was taken over to Riblah, the, just outside of Jerusalem, where it was prophesied that, that uh, things would happen, that people would be taken there and killed. He was not killed, but he was blinded. So I did as I was, I was commanded. I brought out my belongings by day as though going into captivity. And that evening I dug through the wall with my hand. I brought them out at twilight and I bore them on my shoulder in their sight. So this, he was supposed to make a big deal out of this. So when he's bringing his belongings out, he drug, probably drug it out as long as he could. He wants to get an audience. Now he's already got the reputation of doing some weird stuff. That's, he's known around the place. You know, Ezekiel's doing something again. And so they, they came on out to see the show, I guess. If, uh, if, if you wonder why such a dramatic message, why is it that Ezekiel's always given such dramatic messages? I mean, he had to lay on the side for 390 days and then flip over and lay on the other side for, for a while. Um, there were many false prophets. This probably set him apart from them. It gave people an interesting an interest in talking about it. Because you're not just talking about the content, you're talking about, do you see what that nut down there <laughs> was doing? You hear, have you been down there to see what he's been doing laying on his side? Just laying on his side. What's he doing just laying on his side for? <laughs> and he's, he's cooking his food over cow dung. Who does that? <laughs> this is giving him some kind of interesting talking point. And so the people began to promote the message of God. It also showed God's great desire that they get it. He really wanted them to get it. And so he has Ezekiel be extremely dramatic in all this. And we do see that some of the other false prophets try and pick up some of the drama, but no one's as good as God. And he gives them some things to do and he helps them to be able to do these things. Uh, verse 8. And in the morning... The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, What are you doing? <laughs> what in the world are you doing? Now, this is in the morning. So, the yesterday was the day we dug the hole in the wall. Can you imagine buying a house and God tells you to dig a hole in the wall? Now, the type of bricks that the Babylonian houses that were made, I've, I've heard it said from some, uh, some people who do the archaeological digs and stuff like that, that it is possible to dig through and make a hole in the wall. It's not easy. They said it would take a lot of effort. But you could do it. And so it took some effort, but he went out there and he he did it. And he made this. He made it a big spectacle. People came all over to see what in the world Ezekiel was doing. Because we've already been at this for a couple of years now. And we know that he does some weird stuff. Let's go on down there and see. Let's not miss it. Make sure we get on down there and check it out. And so uh, they saw this, this going on. But understand this, he does not know what he's doing. He doesn't know what he's doing yet. He has the word from God. God says, go out there and do this. And so he goes out there and he does it. But he's not really sure why. 
He says, verse two, uh, verse nine again, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, what are you doing? So while he was doing all this, digging the hole in the wall, putting his stuff through the hole in the wall, hoisting it all up on his shoulder and carrying it out in the cover of night, they're all saying, what are you doing? And I imagine he's not telling them because he doesn't know. I'm just doing what God said to do. God told me, digging the wall. And that's what I'm doing. So he did it. But they're all wondering, what's he doing? What's he doing? In the morning, after Ezekiel demonstrated all these things, the meaning is told to him. So he probably didn't know the meaning of this beforehand. God tells it to him the next day. If he already knew it, why in the world is God telling him the meaning of it? Can you imagine what would happen if Ezekiel changed any of the details? If he decided, well, instead of digging through the wall like God wants me to do, I'll just go through the window. Because that's a whole lot easier. It's going to still show them the same thing. We cannot second guess the words of God. If God says, say something in a certain way, we got to say it the way he said to say it. What would happen if Moses, after he was uh, taken up into heaven and saw the tabernacle, if he came by and says, you know what? I think I know a way that we can improve the temple. Instead of doing this thing this way, we could probably just do uh, uh, make it like like this. Instead of just having the two rooms, the Holy of Holy and the Holy Place, heaven we have three. Let's make three. What if he would have changed some of that? That wouldn't have worked out so well, would it? Don't change what God tells you. You may not understand it. But you just got to do it the way that God says. So, Son of Man has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, what are you doing? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, this burden concerns the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel who are among you. Uses this word here, burden, translated burden, for this uh, uh, prophecy, this oracle. You could put that in there too, but it, uh, apparently it means something a little bit heavier. So this word that he's been given is a is a heavy word. It's a burden almost, but it's still a prophecy that God has given him. It's an oracle that he's supposed to to speak from God. Now he's doing this, which is kind of interesting. He's 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 going through the uh, demonstration of an exile. These folks have already been through an exile, and they can't figure it out. But if you were one of these guys in the city, and you were left to ponder, because they're not told the meeting, they have to think about this on their own all night long, and God's going to tell them the meeting the next day. So all they have to go on is that Ezekiel dug a hole through his wall, got all his belongings, put them in a sack, hoist them up over his shoulder, and took off. And so we may be thinking, just think of what the enemy can do with this. The enemy probably came upon some people, probably some false prophets especially, and said to them, has not God said, thus says the Lord, you will be leaving this city. Get all your belongings ready. And you're going to make the trek back to Jerusalem. Can you see how that word? Because where is he? He's in Babylon. Babylonia. Not in ba- Babylon, the city proper, but he's in Babylonia. So if Ezekiel in the foreign land is doing this, can you see how the enemy would probably try and pervert that? Now we know from the rest of the verses that God's not talking about them. He's talking about the people in Jerusalem. But you can see how that can be open. 
Just because we can hear something from God doesn't mean we know what it means. We got to go after God and find out the meaning. You know, you you hear people all the time, you know, like they had a dream, they have a vision, they have a revelation, they have something that came to them, and they they try and take a, a, a shallow meaning from it. We were on the, not too long ago, Joseph's dream. Remember Joseph's dream? So many people come out with the same meaning that those uh, unsaved at the time, brothers of his came up, came up with. We surely ought to be able to get a better understanding of that dream than the unsaved brothers had. But most people come out with the same one. But there was a much deeper meaning to that dream and Joseph pursued it, got it. And because of it, he was able to, to uh, work the things of God. Just because... An obvious meaning may come out doesn't mean that's the one that God has. But I guarantee it because these people are so bent that they want to hear that word that we're only here for a little while and we're going to be on our way back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's still there. Hasn't been taken down like so many prophets have been saying. They may be hopeful and they may overnight begin to think this thing and so when he gets the new meaning the next day how many of, you, how many of the people that are there I don't receive that. I don't care what God said to you. That's just, that's just you. That is not what our God said. You can see how that, that could uh, certainly come about. But Ezekiel's actions were prophetic of what was to happen to King Zedekiah. And he's called here the prince in Jerusalem. Now why is he called the prince in Jerusalem instead of the king? Because remember we start, we went back and we started on uh, Ezekiel. And we saw that he was given the time according to the year of King Jehoiakim. Because he was still seen as a legitimate king. Babylon had taken him out of that place and they put Zedekiah in its spot. But God's saying, I'm not seeing that as the, as the rightful king. That's not the right guy. And so here in the prophecy, it calls him the prince. And we started back in Ezekiel, we started off in the chapter one, I think it was. And it said in the uh, fifth year of Jehoiakim's imprisonment, it, it uh, measured things off of that particular year. Never measures anything off of King Zedekiah. So it calls him here the prince in Jerusalem. Don't let that uh, make you think some other thing is going on. He's, he's referring to him. Jehoiachin was, was in exile, of course. Um... What he is showing here is that there's more people coming. There are more exiles that are coming to join these folks in Babylonia. Verse 11. Say, I am assigned to you as I have done, so shall it be done to them. They shall be carried away into captivity, and the prince who is among them shall bear his belongings on his shoulder at twilight and go out. And they shall dig through the wall to carry them out through it. He shall cover his face so that he cannot see the ground with his eyes. Now this part here, he shall cover his face it may indicate that Zedekiah would wear a disguise as he fled so that he wouldn't be recognized as the king. Because if he wore something to recognize him as the king, all the folks would be after him. <clears throat> so that may be what's, what's going on. When the Septuagint uh, translates this verse, of course the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew, uh, it translates it in such a way, he shall cover his face so that he may not be seen by eye. That's how they translate it. So they, that was the impression that they had of this particular verse came out in their translation of it. It may also refer to the blinding of Zedekiah. 
Because you remember when he was taken up to Ribla, he was blinded after his sons were put to death. And in verse, uh, let's go on over to the, to verse 13 before I read the, the rest of that. I will also spread my net over him and he shall be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon to the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. Now, um, Josephus, who was, of course, the historian, um, very, very uh, long ago, reports that Ezekiel sent a copy. We don't have this in the Bible, but he, he wrote this down. That Ezekiel sent a copy of this prophecy. This prophecy here in chapter 12. To King Zedekiah, the prince, as referred to here. But Zedekiah saw a contradiction between Ezekiel 12 and verse 13 that we just read. He shall not see Babylon. And Jeremiah, his prophecy that we read in chapter 24, 8, 9, declaring that he should be carried to Babylon. So, since Jeremiah said he would be carried to Babylon, and since Ezekiel's prophecy said he shall not see Babylon, he decided to throw both of them out. (laughs) But if you read again, what he said here in verse 13, I will also spread my net over him, and he shall be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans. He shall not see it, though he shall die there. So both are really saying the same thing. He's going there. Ezekiel adds the part, he will not see it. Because in his prophecy, he's blinded. Or at least he's, he, from what God says, he's, he's seen that part. Jeremiah didn't necessarily talk about that part. But since Jeremiah said that he was going to be there, and he just focused in on this part that he shall not see it, well, we're just going to throw all that out. Uh, no, sometimes you got to spend some time with the Word of God. Just because you see a contradiction does not mean there is a contradiction. It just means your understanding of it isn't right. When he says here, I will spread out my net, he is saying that God is against this prince. God himself is against him. You might be able to evade the Babylonians, but you cannot evade God. In Hosea chapter 7, verse 12, just the first part of this verse, Where they go, I will spread my net on them and I will bring them down like birds of the air. That's where we see the net of God referred to uh, other places. When God puts His net against you, you are not getting away. (laughs) And that's what He's telling them here. This is before Zedekiah falls. This is before Zedekiah makes the the flight. So despite having seen this and despite Ezekiel telling him, all the details of what's going to happen and how his plan is going to fail. He's still going to do it. Now, we're only scratching the surface with Ezekiel. There, you, we look at this, there's a lot more details here in Ezekiel than there is in Jeremiah. I was thinking about this. I don't know why it didn't, didn't dawn on me this until today. But you remember when we were talking about where we were going to go next and I said, I gave you two choices, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Didn't dawn on me until today. We're, they're both over the same time period. It's just one perspective from Jerusalem, one perspective from Babylonia. That was it. So I guess somehow we're supposed to be on this time period of this, because it seems like no matter what, we're going back and forth. So we're going to be going back and forth to Jeremiah a good bit, but we're staying on the Ezekiel side. But this is coming from the, the Babylonian side. But Ezekiel is getting details about stuff that's going to happen in Jerusalem, and he has no way of seeing it. Now here's what you're going to see with the ministry of Ezekiel. And it starts, the more that you meditate on this book and you see it, 
you're going to see that this guy is able to press in the prophecy like no one else that I've ever seen in Scripture. He starts out with some detail. We're moving into the part where we're getting into greater detail. But he's going to press in and get such detail out of the prophecy. I do not know a single prophet who has the detail that Ezekiel has over things he never sees. It's astounding. But here you're going to see just in this one, here in chapter 12, you're going to be seeing him moving over. He's calling out details. I don't know that he understands them. But he's got the faith to speak them. Even though he can't figure out how this works. It doesn't matter. If God says it to me, I will speak it out the way that God says. And you're going to see throughout each chapter here, as the, as the time goes on, that God becomes more and more confident in Ezekiel's willingness to speak and to say exactly what he says. That he gives him things that he has seemingly given no profit before. I'll tell you what, to build that kind of trust up with God. That he can speak things to you and you won't mess it up. And here we I think this, this chapter is one of the turning points in Ezekiel. Because he is so willing to speak out exactly what God said, even though he had no understanding of it. And he didn't change it. Even though what God told him to do was hard, he didn't find an easier way to do it. He stayed with it. And God says, we can trust this God. We can rely on him that if I speak it to him, he will say it exactly as I said it. Without having any understanding of it at all. So here in this chapter, when he switches over and says, now I'm going to explain it to you, after he's already done it. I think it's remarkable. But it really shows you how much he followed exactly what God said to do. Because when God gives the interpretation, you see, boy, if he had not done that that way, they would not have gotten the message. It would not have prophesied what happened to Zedekiah the way that it does now. Verse 14, I will scatter to every wind all who are around him to help him and all his troops and I will draw out the sword after them. This is speaking of Zedekiah still. Then they shall know that I am the Lord when I scatter them among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries. But I will spare a few of their men from the sword, from famine and from pestilence that they may declare all their abominations among the Gentiles wherever they go. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So, when they try and make this break, when people are getting out of the city of Jerusalem and they're fleeing and they go, they are going to make a confession. They're going to make a proclamation that what happened in Jerusalem is not a result that God could not protect them because that's what most people in that day uh, believed. If the God that you serve was not able to protect you, then that God was inferior. And so what God is saying is, I don't want you to, I don't want the nations to think I'm inferior. I want you to go out there and you tell them that the reason this happened is because you rebelled against me. And this is the judgment that came because I am the true God. So he says, I'm preserving some of you because I want you to be able to tell them firsthand that this is what happened. When Ezekiel chapter 12 is read later on and we see this prophecy, I want them to be able to say, men came from there. They said, this is exactly what happened. Verse 17, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, eat your bread with quaking, and drink your water with trembling and anxiety, and say to the people of the land, Thus says the Lord God to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the land of Israel, They shall eat their bread with anxiety and drink their water with dread, so that her her land may be emptied of all who are in it because of the violence of all those who dwell in it. 
Then the cities that are inhabited shall be laid waste and the land shall become desolate and you shall know that I am the Lord. It seems that they had inflicted violence. And I, if you're going to inflict violence on people, as a consequence, doesn't fear and trembling and quaking come along with it? From the people, when you are inflicting violence upon people, don't the people you are inflicting that on, won't they fear and quake because of this violence coming down on them? So God says, you inflicted violence on people and I'm going to put on you violence and you're going to be the ones in fear and quaking. In Jeremiah 22, verse 17, it says, Yet your eyes and your heart are for nothing but your covetousness for shedding innocent blood and practicing oppression and violence. In Micah 2, 1 through 2, Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. At morning light they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and they take them by violence, also houses, and seize them. So they oppress a man in his house a man and his inheritance. We see a lot of that kind of violence going on today, but they were, it was going on here. The people of God were doing it to the people in their own land. Amos 3.10 For they do not know to do right, says the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. Now Ezekiel and Jeremiah were telling the people things that the people just plain did not want to hear. This is pretty common amongst Old Testament prophets. They were generally sent amongst people who didn't want to hear the message that they were proclaiming. <clears throat> in Jeremiah 5.31, the prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? In Deuteronomy 18.22, we see one of the tests of the Old Testament prophets. One of the tests that you would do was if they prophesied a thing... Did it come true? If it came true, they were true. If it did not come true, they were false. Now here's the problem. Jeremiah and Ezekiel are prophesying something that is for the time ahead. It wasn't, they're not saying it's coming right now. They're saying it's coming soon. So you can't say by that judgment that, um, that what they were doing was false. Because it hasn't, hadn't come yet. But, as we saw, I believe, in the last time um, we were looking over Jeremiah, and Jeremiah gave a prophecy about one of his uh, adversaries, one of the false prophets, and, he, and that he would fall down dead. Within a few months, he fell down dead. And he died. So there's something that he prophesied and came true. So by that definition, now Jeremiah is true. Well, if Jeremiah and Ezekiel are saying the same thing, then both of them should be considered to be true. So you could base it off of that. There's another thing in uh, Deuteronomy that talks about it as well. That if a, um, I, I believe it goes along this way. If a prophet prophesies something to you as a sign and that sign comes about and then they say to you, serve other gods, do not believe them. So that's a, that's a thing, that, a test that they gave. So sometimes prophets were going to come up and speak a sign. This will happen. And when that happened, he says, don't follow after them if they say go serve other gods because my word has never said go serve other gods. So basically what he is saying in that is if a prophet shows you a sign, the sign comes true and then tells you to go against the word of God, don't believe the prophet. That makes sense to you? None of that applies to Jeremiah and Ezekiel. 
But that's one of the other tests that they gave you in the Old Testament. This is what they had to, to work with for that. But boy, you can see some application for that today, can't you? People are giving false signs and false uh, wonders to happen. And then once they go on, then they say, now, now go out there and do this. And they tell you to do things that are against the Word of God. No, sir. God even says, I don't care if a prophet comes and that sign comes about. Do not go against the Word of God. All right, let's go on here with, with this. Um, Ezekiel twelve twenty one. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, what is this proverb that you people have about the land of Israel, which says the days are prolonged and every vision fails? Now, this is the second falsehood. The days are prolonged. The Hebrew version of this verse consists of four words. Four words. First word, they lengthen. Second word, the days. Third word, and it dies. Fourth word, every vision. So literally, what is what it's saying? The, they lengthen the days and it dies every vision. It's translated for us, the days are prolonged and every vision fails. But in the Hebrew, that's what it... Now, it's, it's not far off. I mean, we, we understand what they're what they're getting at. But I just wanted you to see this. In the Hebrew, there are four words. And God's going to come back with His four words. Verse 23, Tell them therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will lay this proverb to rest. And they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel. But say to them, The days are at hand and the fulfillment of every vision. Now that's God's four words. But it's not four words for us. Here's the four words that God used. They draw near is the first. The days is the second. And the word of is the third. Every vision is the fourth. See, here's God's four words in response. They draw near the days and the word of every vision. In other words, what I said is coming about. <laughs> you guys may have this proverb. You guys may say this amongst yourselves. It don't matter. Here's my four words for you. For no more shall there be any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord. I speak and the word which I speak will come to pass. It will no more be postponed. For in your days, O rebellious house, I will say the word and perform it, says the Lord. In your days. In your days. We're not looking for some other days down the road. He's saying, I'm doing it now. You guys are going to see this. Verse uh, 26. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, look, the house of Israel is saying the vision that he sees is for many days from now. And he prophesies of times afar off. So on one hand, they're saying, it's been delayed, it's never going to come. And another one says, if it does come, it won't come on us. It'd be coming after our kids. They'll have to, they'll have to deal with it. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, none of my words will be postponed anymore, but the word which I speak will be done, says the Lord. Now can you imagine this? God has, has said judgment is coming. And He's held off on it. And mercy. To see if they would come around, but they haven't come around. 
And so he sends more prophets and they kill some of those. Don't listen to others. Then he sends some more. Finally he sends some and says, alright, that's it. It's coming. And now, and they don't believe them. And they go after the false prophets. And then they start saying, well, God's been saying that's been coming for a long time. He doesn't mean it. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) If you're God. Imagine if you were trying to be merciful to your child. And holding off punishment. And they just said to you, oh, mom, you don't mean it. You're always saying that. Then what's that make you want to do? (laughs) Bring the hammer down right now, right? (laughs) That's it. No more mercy for you. We're coming after you. This is the second falsehood. If judgment is to come, it won't be in our lifetime, so we won't see it. And that is not the case, God says. It's not that many days from now. It is coming, and you will see it. He says, you are not leaving this place. More people are coming. You are holding out hope that because Jerusalem is still intact and the city is still up, that you will once again return. And I'm telling you that Jerusalem will be destroyed because no one has repented. No one has turned from their evil ways. And this will be coming down upon them. And people are going to be dying. Some of the people that you left behind that you knew, they're going to be dying. Most of them will be dead. And over the course of this, he said, some of them through pestilence, some of them through sword, some of them through famine. If they're in the city, they die this way. They're outside the city, they die this way. He gave all the different counts what's going to happen. And most of the people that you knew that were left there are going to die. And they took, still took a, a lax attitude towards all this. Now think about this here in 2 Timothy verse 4 and verse, uh, chapter 4 verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And we sure have known how true that is today, but isn't it something that we've seen this in Ezekiel's day? We saw it before Ezekiel's day. We saw it after Ezekiel's day. We saw it in Jesus' day. We saw it in Paul's day. We saw it here today that people will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. We don't want to hear that. We want to hear this. And just like they did with Ezekiel, Ezekiel, we don't want to hear your words. We like this guy over here better. He's telling us we won't be here that long. Jeremiah, we don't like your words. Your words are too harsh. We like this guy over here. His words are better. We, we, we agree with those more. The Word of God is not for us to agree with. The Word of God is for us to listen to and line up with. Well, it was, we know it was true in Jesus' day. We knew it was true in Paul's day. Even more so now. Because that's what it says, for the time will come. So as much as we saw this in Jesus' day, as much as we saw this in Paul's day, Paul is telling us here in Second Timothy, look, the time's coming. He's saying it's going to be even worse. Many think that as God's judgment has not come, it never will. It's just something we keep talking about to try and keep people in line. 
People will come up with cute phrases, just like they had their little four-word sentence that God came up with His own four-word sentence to counteract it. I don't care how many cute phrases they all have. Herod, heralded earthly wisdom. It cannot stand and will not negate the words of God. What God has spoken and what God has said to those through His prophets, through His Word, those who go against it will come into judgment. And if it's delayed, it's only delayed because of the mercy of God, not because it isn't, is not coming. There are those who say there is no judgment coming. There's other people who say that if it does come, it's so far off, we don't need to worry about it. Second <laughs> Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed. Everybody keeps saying he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He hasn't come. People still get up, go to work, get married, have kids. Nothing's changed. It's the same thing that was going on in Ezekiel's day. The lie of the enemy we keep falling for. Ecclesiastes verse 8 and verse chapter 8 verse 11 because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Because we don't see that evil is punished right away well I just keep on going out there and doing evil. Because I don't understand the severity of what's coming. Amos chapter 6 verse 3 Woe to you who put far off the day of doom who caused the seed of violence to come near. In other words, woe to you who say the day of judgment is way out there. Don't worry about it. Do what you want. That's what Amos is saying. Matthew 24, 44 Therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect or basically put it this way. Don't think He is coming. He is coming at an hour that you do not think He is coming. Isn't that the same thing? What are you saying? He's not coming yet. we got time. Jeremiah, let's read this whole thing. 5, 30 and 31. An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? In the end times, it is said that people will become less and less willing to listen. Less and less willing to endure it. But they will much prefer to go after a softer gospel, an easier one. And there will be churches who decide we're not going to preach about the coming of the Lord because it's been delayed. We'll just leave that part out. We just won't teach about this anymore. It's nothing different than it is today. In the days of Ezekiel, in the days of Jeremiah, 
people despised the words of the Lord to go after something that was easier. But there were a few who would speak what God said, what God told them, and would speak it out regardless of how people would respond. Jeremiah had a, probably the roughest time of any of the prophets I can think of. They beat him to get him to be quiet. And he did for a while, but he went after it again. People cannot endure the words of God. But we still speak them and we still declare them. So here in this day and age, don't ever be quiet about the things of God. We don't need to get the sandwich boards and hang out by the corner and start banging people over the head. But we do need to stand up and declare the things of God. And not be beaten into silence. Be timid. Passive with the gospel. But to stand up and say, this is what my God says. And if God said it, then I will declare it with all certainty. I don't care if the rapture, people thought it would happen back in the early 2000s. I don't care that people thought it would happen by this time or this time. It doesn't matter. God said it's coming. And I know it's coming. We live according to what the Word of God declares, what the Word of God says, not what public pressure says to us or decides that we should do. Two falsehoods have been addressed. There are seven more to go. These seven more falsehoods have a lot going on with what we face today. And so we'll look to, uh, to investigate each one of those. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the obedience of men like Ezekiel who would hear what you would say and honor that word that you spoke so reverently that they were careful to demonstrate and to do everything that you said so that all the people would see. Even though Ezekiel did not have all the understanding of what he was doing in digging the hole, carrying his belongings, he did it exactly as you said. And when you spoke the meeting, what he did made perfect sense. I thank you for men like Ezekiel in our past that have been so trustworthy with your word that you were able to speak things that few could hear. But we have them written down and I thank you that we can study them. For these are the words that you spoke. I give you the glory and honor for it in Jesus' name. Amen.